Hey everybody, we have an exciting show for you today. I want you to welcome to Typology my new friend Sissy Goff, author of the new book, Raising Worry-Free Girls, Helping Your Daughter Feel Braver, Stronger, and Smarter in an Anxious World. Sissy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ian. I want to remind everybody that we had your colleague, Dave Thomas on the show, who wrote a companion or a mirror book, if yes. you will, to this one, which was Emotionally Strong Boys. Yes. And we had a wonderful conversation with him. And you're both Enneagram Ones. Can you believe it? Which fascinates me. I know. Me. We travel and speak together a lot, and you should see how fast we move through an airport. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and how you get Rolling. there early enough and <laughs> yes. get there on time. That is Pack funny. well, yes, right? All the things. Man, oh man, I wish half the people I travel with were ones. <laughs> do, you, do you critique each other during the process? We don't. We don't, <laughs> thankfully. Good question, though. Yeah. One of the things I said to Dave is I had never met a therapist who was an Enneagram One. He told me you said that. I can't believe that. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, I've met tons of twos. Yes. I've met tons of fours. Well, not tons, some fours. Yes. One five who actually was a Jungian and he was brilliant. Wow. Yeah, he was brilliant. But of course, a Jungian for a a five. Sure. Uh, Of course, our mutual friend Jill Phillips is a six. And I can see where that's that's a win. I've only met one or two sevens. You have a lot of nines. And a ton of nines. A ton of nines. Millions of nines. In fact, yesterday I met a woman who is a local therapist, and I just looked at her and I went, you're nine, aren't you? She (laughs) laughed and she said, "Mm mm-hmm. And I went, it's not a hard hard guess. But anyway, it's so so wonderful. Tell me, what, what makes you a great therapist? And I want to extend that out a little bit. As a one... What makes you someone that fits or slots well in the world of psychology, doing therapy with people? Like, what is your, like, I would say with twos, obviously, you know, highly attuned to other feelings, yes. fours, empathy, et cetera. Yes. What is it for the one that makes you particularly great at what you do? Well, hopefully I have a lot of two and a lot of four that I can tap into. Mm-hmm. And I would say, this is going to be a backwards answer, but I remember meeting with a girl who halfway during, I mean, we had met nine times probably, and she looked at me and I don't know what I even asked her. And she said, I don't want to grow. I just want to be understood. And I I immediately thought, I'm not the right girl for you as a therapist. Because I think that is, I think for kids who want things to feel different, who are frustrated about their level of anxiety or feel like they get angry and they don't like that's who they are. I think I can have a vision for with them for who they want to become and help hopefully walk with them towards that vision would mm-hmm. be my answer. So you know that ones are probably the best mentors on the Enneagram. Did really? you know that? I've never heard that. Yeah. Well, that's sort of that common idea. knowledge. That's wow. right. That's not an opinion. That's out of a textbook. Wow. I feel like most things we talk about with ones on the Enneagram, they're not, we're not the best. We're kind of miserable. So, so well, glad to hear that. Oh, you, know, you ones and sixes have so much problems. Uh, have so many problems with being ones and sixes. <laughs> what are you, Anthony? I'm a four also. You're a four. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. I want yeah. y'all to talk to me about fours. I counsel a lot of them and Oh, I bet you do. I this, sit with them when they're town. really stuck and kind of happy to be. So I need y'all yeah. to give me some insight, you two. <laughs> right. I'm excited. We might flip the table and y'all yeah, talk. Right, well, that's okay. okay. That's yes. Because sure. fours are very happy to talk about themselves. <laughs> and if you want to meet people who desperately want to be understood, then hang around. Oh, yeah. yes. yes. 100%. All right. So 
You still haven't answered my question entirely. Okay. Oh, I thought, okay. I'm a good. therapist. I yes, can push that's in. that's good. So I'm just curious, like, what are the gifts you bring up? Well, obviously, one you just spoke about, I think that, you know, ones are highly analytical, probably the second most analytical number on the Enneagram. Very okay. practical. Sixes are as well. Obviously, yes. five's the most. Sure. And seven's right behind. Um, obviously, they're in the thinking triad. Oh, but here's the thing. What makes you, like, really great as a therapist because you're a one? I feel like I have a lot of strength and I think I convey a lot of strength. Mm -hmm. And I think working with kids in particular Mm -hmm. who are struggling and Mm -hmm. fearful and sometimes their parents don't know how to provide that. I think I feel, I hope I feel safe pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Plus I take my dog to work and that helps. But I think I pretty quickly feel like somebody who is capable of walking them toward Mm -hmm. exactly what we were talking about and trustworthy in that. And I think because of working with kids, I end up sitting with a lot of parents and at times have to be strong with parents that don't necessarily want Mm -hmm. that. And I feel like I, I think ones in my mind feel like one of the only numbers that most any I think most folks on the Enneagram can trust to that we can match them like I'm not intimidated by an eight parent who might try and intimidate me in my office I feel like Mm. I can go toe-to-toe and hang in there I think or attempt to do it with kindness but some of that comes with 30 years of counseling I would say my first folks I don't think I brought a lot of strength or steadiness to the picture but yeah that would be one of them so I've been going undergoing a very interesting exercise you'll okay. find this fascinating okay. as a therapist yes I have known for a long time that I have a bunch of journals in a safe wow. uh, in the house okay and they go back to 1990, gosh, 1987. And, you know, I'm 62. I don't plan on going anywhere soon. But sure. what if I got hit by a bus? Right. Right. And I kept thinking to myself, do I want my children to find these mm. journals and read them? And this has been on my mind for a couple of years. Like, I got to go in there and go get. Them. And so finally, I went in and got them and I started reading them again. Wow. And it is intense. Because, well, I got sober in 1987, so you can imagine what those journals look like. Ooh. And then just the years, all the years after, and I just began to be able to, through the lens of a 62-year-old man with a mm. lot more self-knowledge and self-compassion, just to see the patterns running through and the themes, and also realizing, oh my gosh, so much has not changed. Now, wow. what has changed is the way that I regard those problems. Mm. You know what I mean? How I sit with them. But boy, oh boy, I look at them and I think, oh, I'm so sorry, dude. <laughs> that was so hard. Those mm. years were so hard. So you've mm. been in therapy, I assume, a lot yes, for yourself. Yes, over the years, sure. What have been the themes for you as a one that have just run in your, for you for the last 30 years? Do you know what I'm saying? Like yes. It's like, oh my gosh, yes. this has been with me for 30 years, probably never going away, yes. just have to regard it differently. Yes, I, mm. definitely the inner That's critic. I mean, I think that would be bottom line, has been with me. And out of that inner critic, I think having to learn to trust my own gut and my own sense of what I need, even what others need, which would circle back around to one of the gifts. I think what has evolved as one of my best gifts is intuition and having that. I mean, 
hopefully it's directed by the Holy Spirit too, but that gut sense of this is where I want to go in the session or this is what this child needs or mm. what's going on underneath what they're presenting to me. But I think until I did that work of learning to quiet the critics, some still working on it and connecting to what I need in the moment. And I used to lean so much more too that. I think that detached me as well. I think that has emerged as something that I've been continuing to work on. I remember Barbie White, who you probably know, was my supervisor and I met with her for a long time. And I remember her putting a pound. I mean, there were so many stuffed animals in a chair and scooting the chair right up to my knees and saying, where are you, sissy? What do you need? And I, I mean, I felt like things were crawling all over my skin. You know, it just felt so needy and Velcro-y. I don't even have the words to say, but I think that being able to separate myself out from that and say, okay, I can hear what's happening inside of myself. It took me a long time to be able to do that. And I'm, mm. I'm still learning. Wow. But. All right. So the number one question one's asked me is how do you deal with the inner critic? Mm. What would you tell them from your experience? Not just like, you know, we all know that maybe the see the cognitive behavioral answer sure. or, you know, but sure. in your experience. Yes. I think I have noticed that the inner critic is so much worse when I'm not practicing really practical self-care when I'm tired when I'm frustrated and not dealing with whatever's happening inside of me emotionally if I'm just spent and not receiving from the places I need to receive I think I know that's it's louder in those times and it's not just the inner critic I'm way more critical of other people in those moments in my head hopefully not out loud so that and then I think having a few things I go back to at a spiritual director who would say to me a lot, be gentle with yourself, be gentle with yourself. And I hear her voice in my mm. head often, which I just love even that idea. And I would say it's in the last five years that I've learned how to talk to myself differently. So really replacing that voice with a voice of kindness. Yeah. Which is That's still good. hard. But yeah. yeah. You know, it which is still hard, right? And it's right. I was thinking yesterday because I had a, I had kind of a crappy day yesterday, Anthony. Did you? It wasn't awful, <laughs> but you know, like there are certain feeling mm. states. You know, at sixty-two, and you're like, I have been in this feeling state so many times. Mm. Oh yes. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, and it might visit once a month or twice mm. a month. You know, for mm. half a day or a day, and I'm like, here it is. Yeah. You know, like, mm. well, here we go. And going through those journals, part of me initially was very self-critical. Because I was like, dude, you have not even grown up. You know what I mean? Like, mm. you are still wrestling with needing other people's approval, this mm. and that. And the next thing, it's mm. like, yeah. God, you were so tortured about that at 27, and here you are, 62, and you're still tortured by it. Again, I regard it very differently. I have a different relationship with that mm. problem yeah, that's, yes. than I did. Yes, to put different it. relationship. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yesterday, this feeling state came back, and I was like, it's going to come. It's mm. going to go. I just have to like endure it like I got a cold. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think uh, the significance of that kind of growth is uh, when we're younger, we tend to think it's a permanent state, yes. right? And you know, this is going to yeah. pass. Yeah, and it'll define come ourselves by it. And define ourselves by it. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. And I think that the amount of time between those episodes is much longer. Right, yeah. And just to finish up on the journals thing, and then we'll get back to our guest. Um, <laughs> this is like that show Smartless where they just talk about themselves. I love that show. They ask the guests three questions, but they're good questions. Oh, and they're, Anyhow, I'm actually going through it and pulling pages. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I'm, I might burn them all and just say it was private, but yeah. 
part of me is like, yeah, I can just pull this page because maybe my kids would be happy to know some of this stuff. But mm. anyway. I love that. Yeah. All right, everybody. I'm talking mm. to Sissy Goff, author of the new book, Raising Worry-Free Girls, Helping Your Daughter Feel Braver, Stronger, and Smarter in an Anxious mm. World. Also, the companion guide, Brave. A Teen Girl's Guide to Beating Worry and Anxiety. I do want to talk about this because my wife and I frequently say that, and I don't think this is just recently. I think back to my own kids. My kids are anxious. Yes. And my wife always says partly because we raised them in a post, an immediately post an I-11 world. And everything we think sort of changed after the, the anxiety. Well, we were 30 miles from the Twin Towers, so that was part wow. of it. But. We are in the midst of sort of a mental health crisis. Kids are anxious as all get out, not to mention their parents. What is up with that? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right. I mean, we are now at one in four kids, one in three adolescents are dealing with anxiety. And girls are twice as likely as boys, which is why I wrote this book specifically for girls and counsel them. But, you know, that was pre-pandemic. It was already happening. And I think there are so many factors that we could talk about from technology Hmm. to the pressure I think kids feel to succeed in ways that Mm -hmm. has never been. I've never sat with as many girls who want to make 104s, not just a 93. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that's so intense. But I would say one of the biggest predictors right now is parenting strategies. Not that you were doing any of those things that contributed to your kids anxiety but i definitely am seeing parents who you know we're kind of all different ages but i think not a lot of our parents were in counseling they were not passing feelings charts around dinner tables you know they weren't talking about those things and so i'm sitting with more and more parents than ever before who i think didn't feel understood and so they have swung the opposite and now they're Mm. overcorrecting and so they're doing a great job identifying with their kids and hearing them but even to help their kids move through it, I think in some ways feels like I'm not going to be attuned to you if I'm making you work through the anxiety. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing the two most common parenting strategies in light of anxiety are escape and avoidance. So we're seeing more parents step in and rescue than we've mm-hmm. ever seen before, which is interesting. I mean, even from an Enneagram perspective, we I know we're not really supposed to talk about what kids are very often, but we use it with kids some. And I have more kids, and six is the most common number anyway, right? But I have more kids who identify as sixes that I think certainly aren't sixes. But because of that anxiety, I'm even sure. curious if we'll skew more towards more people thinking they're sixes with anxiety yeah. being so rampant. You mentioned this several times on the show, right? Of us yeah. moving more toward a, uh, from a three possibly culture to a six. Wow. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I think for the longest time, America was a three country. Mm-hmm. The Horatio Alger story to mm-hmm. very future oriented. Mm-hmm. How can we do better than our parents did? And mm-hmm. we can do better than our parents did. And right. Dale true. Carnegie coming into play. With yeah. yeah it just right. was everything yeah. was sure. optimism, confidence, yes. go forward, conquerors. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I think in recent years, and the political environment has really shown so much anxiety. Mm, I think, honestly, that very conservative and very liberal people are actually anxious about the same things. Mm. It's just two different expressions of Mm -hmm. response, right? Mm -hmm. Different responses to the same anxiety. Yeah. But I think when on the particularly on the conservative side, you have this whole idea of make America great again. Well, it's like that's very past oriented. That's like, how do we go mm. back to something mm. instead of how do we go forward into something? Mm-hmm. So that go back into institutions and old things, you know what I mean? Like old things. I'm not saying, this is not a judgment. It just is what yeah. it is. And you 
all those things are very sick. Mm. A lot of anxiety, too much change, too yeah. much this. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's, I think, how that plays out. Mm. You know? And now yeah. all of our conservative listeners are going to send me an email <laughs> telling me that I have it all wrong, which is fine. <laughs> you know, whatever. Well, it's interesting that you're, because you're saying you're seeing more sixes and you anticipate yes, more. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah totally. Well, I just think also more naturally anxious people are more activated now mm-hmm. than ever before well yeah. they should be well, right they should yeah. be i mean the world is scary as heck yes. um as can be the case you know in a in a world all right mm-hmm. you talk about the relationship between fear worry and anxiety mm-hmm. and i think most of us think those are synonymous terms are they I don't think so. All right. Well, tell us. Oh, I think fear exists in the presence of whatever we're afraid of mm-hmm. or thinking about it. But if I'm afraid of a spider and I don't feel like there's going to be a spider in this lovely room we're sitting in, I'm not going to be afraid. Whereas worry feels more pervasive mm-hmm. to me that we worry about things. And I think anxiety, the way and because I'm working primarily with kids, I have kind of elementary ways of describing things. But I always think it's like the one loop roller coaster at the fair. You know, we all have these intrusive thoughts all the time. And if we're not anxious, the thought comes in and it leaves. But if we're anxious, the thought comes in and it gets stuck like that Mm -hmm. loop and it goes over and over and over, which is why parents of anxious kids will say things like, I don't know why she won't stop asking me questions about the schedule tomorrow, you know, or whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you can tell. And I think we adults are the same. We just mm-hmm. have different things we loop about. I always think of anxiety as concern. It's like a vague feeling of apprehension about something that isn't actually real yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a vague sense of apprehension when there is no presence of an actual danger or threat. Yes. So it's a what if thing. Well, what mm-hmm. if there's a spider in the room? Well, then what would I do? Yes. And then, but fear is, Shiite, they're a spider, spider and it's right. crawling on my arm. So yes. it's like warranted fear, whereas the anxiety isn't warranted. And that anxiety skews our emotional response to it. Yeah. I mean, I think it does yeah. that too. Like I, I, did, I came up with a definition in the book after reading all these books about anxiety that anxiety is an overestimation of the problem yes. and an mm-hmm. underestimation of ourselves. Yeah. Yes. It's like a feeling of powerlessness, yes. really. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in uh, in, in rec- my recovery program, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about God reliance. Like, mm-hmm. it's so important. Like, if you're afraid in my program, it's because you have unconsciously or consciously decided that whatever it is you're facing is just too much for God. Yeah. Like, it's over God's head. So it's over your head. It's over God's head. And that's why you are running around with your hair on fire. You know, like, yes. it's just too much. And that's that has been a tremendous sort of mm. help for me and uh the, i think i've told you that question and i wonder how this would go over with you know girls who are anxious mm-hmm. so you tell me mm-hmm. i one time i called my sponsor and i was like man i'm so worried about this one thing i just spent 15 minutes just enumerating all the reasons this thing was going sideways and why i was so scared and he just paused and he goes what would you do if you weren't afraid and i said he just threw me back on my heels and i was like i would do this he goes okay call me back in an hour <laughs> Wow. That's <laughs> great. Do it. And that's I was great. like, oh, yeah. oh okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> Just threw it back on me and said, all right, that sounds like a good idea. Why don't I you go do that, that and call me back? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Jeez. <laughs> Not sure that would work with a 12-year-old girl, but, but maybe <laughs> well, in certain instances. Well, that's what we're trying instances. to work them towards, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Doing right. The to scary be brave thing. and go do the scary right. thing. That's right. right. And yeah. sometimes you do know what to do. Yeah. I, most of the time. I think if we're listening to ourselves, yeah. we're in tune with yeah. ourselves. And kids do too. Yeah. It's yeah. so hard though because, you, you know, what's the tip? What's the average age girl that you meet with? 
Well, eight to eighteen. So oh, I'm glad yeah, it's not. A, I'm glad it's not a large swath. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's say I got. Uh, I'm back with my kids being five. Let's say eight, eleven, and sixteen. Okay. Yeah. How would I help them not to be anxious? What would you tell a parent like you know who's trying to raise kids who are within the bell curve of reasonable anxiety, not yes. crazy anxiety? Yes. Right? Like what? What do we do? I mean, the number one thing I would say, which is, I've written a book that's coming out in August about this, but the number one thing I would say a parent needs to do is manage their own anxiety. Because that does, I mean, it feels like it's just rippling over. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, we're living in this anxious culture and so much about it, rightfully so, makes us anxious. Mm -hmm. But but I think we're also living in an overexpressive culture. And so kids are hearing about it in ways none of us ever did mm-hmm. when we were growing up. And, so, and you know, they're having drills for when a shooter, active shooter comes in school. I mean, you know, there are a million things, again, contributing to it. But mm-hmm. I think really the number one thing a parent can do is deal with their own stuff in terms of anxiety. Yeah. So, so unlike when we used to get under the desk for the atomic bomb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's right, because we also didn't have a cell phone to call home when they know. Yes. We, yeah. It was more like, run home. Like, we used to go home for lunch. You know, it's sort of like, but, you know, I think also the thing that makes me anxious is I just have too much access to all the horrible news on the world. Mm-hmm. Right. My parents used to get the New York Times yeah. on Sunday and the yeah. Greenwich Time, the local newspaper every other day. We didn't see, like, what was happening mm-hmm. in Senegal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had no idea what was happening. Mm-hmm. We were never yeah. going to know what was happening mm-hmm. in Senegal. Yeah. And we certainly weren't going to see pictures about it. On Instagram, you have these sort of groups where they share this moment of like a dad coming home from being in the army you know i don't even think we're made to experience Mm. that kind of even high or low repeatedly like we're 15 seconds 15 seconds of this like just intense yeah you know it's like we're just not wired for that kind of interaction seriously it's not even our own experience yeah Yeah, it's just it's almost like a drug or something you know yes exactly yes so one of the reasons I love this conversation, Anthony, is that we're talking with an Enneagram One, and I, I wish I had had you as a therapist mm. when I was oh, yeah. working with mm. my kids growing up, because Enneagram Ones are so good, man, mm. at parsing things. Like, this is mm. what we have to do. Here's the linear kind of, you know, yes. very clear things that have to happen in <laughs> order for change. We love things like cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes, you so. do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, Jungian therapy drive you a little bad. Right, right. <laughs> yes. Now, force yes. love Jungian therapy. <laughs> We just yes, love we the do. dream work and That's get the little right. sandbox out. And we're gonna get we're gonna get action figures in the sandbox <laughs> yeah. and you bring your dream journal. I'm not fooling. That is mm. total four mm-hmm. stuff. And we also oh, like equine therapy. Wow. I'm not kidding you. We do. Wow. We just oh, yeah. love all the feels. Wow. You know, like the horse is talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we and actually I kind of think the horse is talking to you. Yes. You know, but agree. there are some other people on the Enneagram I know would be like I didn't come here to talk to like Mr. Ed, the horse, you know, I didn't, that was not on my list of things to do. 90% of the audience will have no idea who Mr. Ed is. I'm tracking with you. Yeah, you're tracking with me, right? Okay, moving on. All right. So give me three things parents can do in terms of what they do with an anxious daughter. I mean, here you are, you've written this book, Raising Worry-Free Girls. Give me three things parents can do. Teach breathing. Nice. Mm-hmm. To get them out of the amygdala That's because, good. you know, yeah. so many parents are saying to me, my daughter's like a crazy person when she gets anxious. Right. Well, because the thinking part of her brain's not even online. So, so. that's, isn't it that activating the parasympathetic yes. nervous system, yes. right? And getting, yes. out, getting out of the flight, 
fight, freeze place. Exactly. Right? Getting her back to the prefrontal cortex right. that helps her think rationally and manage her emotions or him, not just her. Mm-hmm. Right. So that would always be first. And then I would move to some super practical grounding techniques, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, because they're stuck in that loop. And now they have the capacity to get out of it because their breathing's regulated, their body's come back down, but we've got to shift their thinking away from it. So mm. my favorite one is... Tell me five things you see, four things you hear, three things you feel, two things you smell, one thing you taste. Yeah, anything. Okay, repeat that slowly because people are going to want to take notes on that. Tell me five things. It's just the senses. Five things you see, four things you hear, three things you feel, not emotionally, sorry, forced, Mm -hmm. tactile, two things you smell, one thing you taste. Because sensory related data is grounding. So when we can focus on the senses. I love that. And then the third thing I would always do is just like we're talking about self-talk with kids, I have them give the worry a name because, you Mm -hmm. know, we all think the voice in the back of our head is truth until we learn differently. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to separate it out and call it with little ones, I'll call it the worry monster. Sometimes I have one girl who named hers Bob. No idea why, but I loved it. (laughs) But whatever name they want to give it so they can say in adolescence, come up with their own name. I'm not listening to you. Worry. Mm -hmm. I call it the worry whisperer in the book for teenage girls because that's what it feels like. He comes in and whispers Mm. these things. I'm not listening to you. You're always wrong. You always make me feel incapable. You're not the boss of me if they're little, you know, however they want to say. But stopping those thoughts with that kind of voice where they're learning that they're stronger than their worries, basically. Mm. Simple as that sounds. So. Breathing, grounding, and then talking back to the worry are my first three months of counseling right there. Let me just ask you a question. Though. Yeah. When you get older, though, and this has been something that's been helpful to me, yes. and maybe it's a type thing, but it, again, this is when you're older. Okay. Sometimes when I get anxious, the way that I treat the voice is I generally say, oh, can you tell me what you need right now? Mm. So arguing with the voice for me tends to give it more energy. Wow. Right. That's interesting. And, and, uh-huh. and it actually alienates a part of me uh-huh. and almost says it's bad. Yes. Instead of asking it the question, and I'm not saying that's bad for kids. No, I, I, in yeah. some ways, I can see where that actually is helpful. Yes. But, but I as think I've gotten an older as an adult, I'm more likely to say, maybe that's internal family systems, even though I know very little about it, but it's, I know enough to be dangerous at a cocktail party. But that almost to say to that voice, oh, like almost reparenting it mm-hmm. and just saying, what do you need right now from me? Mm. And oftentimes the voice will be like, I just need you to listen. I'm like, okay. You know, yes. I don't know if that's, yeah, no, maybe that's an that. adult thing. Yeah. Yeah. I have a daughter who's a one. You do? Yeah. And she had a lot of anxiety growing mm. up. And one of the things that I did that really helped her was, and you mentioned it, is one, managing my own feelings. Yes. When she was anxious, mm. wanting to make it right or fix mm-hmm. it. or And then you mentioned this too, practicing the feelings chart around the table. That's awesome. Yeah. And then helping her not to over-identify with her thoughts. Yes. And so sometimes we, when things weren't anxious, we would sit down and say, what are the primary messages that you hear? Because they were overly critical. Mm. She could identify them not in a stressful moment mm. and realize, oh, I've got this tendency, this thing that I default to. Mm. And then the other is one of the things we laugh about now is she said this has really helped her and and we would do this a lot, but she would always get anxious whenever, for instance, it was like Native American day and she had to have this costume and she was like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And she's in tears, you know, and I was like, we're going to make it happen. And we did it. And then we would just revisit it the next day. Now, what happened? What were you feeling? Did we get through it? And so she began to see, oh, yeah, it's like this is temporary. Yeah. And it re- I think that was one of the bigger things that helped her 
in the moment. You know, she could reflect on, oh, yeah, the last three times, four times, five times, we got through this. I think we'll get through it again. What a gift to her. I mean, my experience with anxious girls is, Mm -hmm. and I wrote a little book for Girls Cup, Braver, Stronger, Smarter. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally every girl that I have ever met who has anxiety is really bright. They're really Mm -hmm. conscientious. They try hard. They care deeply. They're the kindest, neatest kind of kids. And I think because of that and you talking in about list, asking that voice what it needs i think what i experience with kids is that often that voice is not the voice that i even want them to listen to because it's morphed from the mm. voice that says i need a friend and i feel lonely or mm. i felt angry when this happened but i don't know what to do with it and i certainly can't express it and so it's going to shift into anxiety so almost like you know, anger is supposedly a secondary emotion. Anxiety becomes secondary for a lot of kids and some adults, I think. And so it's almost not just what does that voice need, but what do you need mm-hmm. that they've lost track Ooh, of? I love that. And so for her to have a dad who's a bore mm. who can sit with her and separate out those emotions and name them, I yeah. think had to combat that anxiety in such a profound way that mm. I think anxious kids need. I love, I think anxious adults need. I love that you did that with her. Yeah, thanks. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. It's really helped her. Yeah. So now you just actually helped me with something. Okay. Because now I would say to that voice, maybe I'll try this. Not only what do you need to say, but to be able to say to the voice, well, now here's what I need. That's good. I like that. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's not like negotiating with the voice, but it's a little bit of, that's what you need. Here's what I need. Uh But also then to remind the voice and I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because maybe when I was really little, you needed to be in charge. Mm-hmm. I'm old enough to be in charge now. Yeah. Great. I love all this conversation. Yes, I'm good. also helping myself here because it's like, <laughs> and that's important too, because, yeah. you know, a lot of times what's true for our kids is true for us, you yeah. know, in, in so many ways. All right. So girls have a lot of expectations for themselves. Yes. More than ever. Okay. Talk about it. Well, I think it's academically, I do think they're putting more pressure on themselves than they ever had. I think even in things like running, if I run track, I've got to make a personal record every single time. I mean, I, ju- I just think in every activity of life, every place they're involved, they feel like they have to be the best. And now there's social media that's come alongside and they're only looking at the best in other people and girls mm. can struggle with comparison so much that I think that has just exponentially made it worse that they're struggling. Mm. There's a social media aspect to that too, right? Because it's constant, constant comparison. Yes. You never had so much to compare your world to. And it's not real. We know that. It's not real anyway because everybody's presenting their best self. Right. I think the direction girls go is if I'm not living up to whatever I'm seeing, I think their default is something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And so that just creates more, which creates more. I've got to rise up and be all the things that Mm -hmm. I could never be, but I should be because Mm, that's what I'm saying. Everybody, I want to remind you that we're speaking with our new friend, Sissy Goff, who's written this brand new, wonderful book, Raising Worry-Free Girls, Helping Your Daughter Feel Braver, Stronger, and Smarter in an Anxious World. Along with it, this guide, Brave, a teen girl's guide to beating worry and anxiety, which is a wonderful companion piece to the book. All right. So what are some specific ways adults can create security for the anxious girl? Besides, can I just say, like, every five minutes, manage your own emotions. I feel All like right. I could keep saying that. That's definitely one. All right, let's just stop there. Okay. Because maybe I need to circle back. Okay. Tell me how to manage my own emotions. I'm begging you. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Well, and maybe it's more managing your own emotions in front of them and going to places that are safe that help you manage them in productive, healthy ways. So going to therapy yourself, making mm-hmm. sure you're processing what's going on with you away from them. Mm. So with your spouse, when they're not Good. within an earshot with a friend, you're going to have dinner and a glass of wine and processing it with them away from your kids. But I think it's that spillover or it's the unacknowledged in us that then carries over to them in ways we never intend for it to. And I think sometimes it's our own past that we're just not aware of or not mm-hmm. talking about. And that sure, I mean, I sit with so many parents, their first appointment and the, well, let me give you all an example. So Daystar, y'all haven't been to our office, but we're this in a cute yellow house with a white picket fence. We have dogs on staff. I mean, if you're going to bring your kids to counseling, it's about the cutest, most warm environment for a kid I think you can find. And so I know it's going to do some of the work of helping kids feel at ease. And I had a little girl who was eight who was coming to me for counseling. And I saw on our little computer program called Therabill that she was coming for anxiety. And so I came down the stairs of the Daystar house and saw this little girl across the way. And, you know, y'all can tell I have a really big smile. And mm-hmm. I smiled and waved at her and she smiled and waved back. And I walked over to her and said, hey, I'm Sissy. I'm so excited that you're at Daystar. I'm going to take you on a tour of the Daystar house. And then we're going to go to my office and meet my little dog, Lucy, who is going to love you. And this adorable little girl popped up to follow me. And her mom grabbed her arm and said, do you feel comfortable with that? Oh, man. She's bringing her to me for therapy. You know, I, I mean, I, I hope she should feel comfortable. And this little girl's face fell. Yeah, oh. And you said to the little girl, you sit on the couch. Because <laughs> <laughs> mom, mama and I, mama and I are going for a yes, tour of Daystar. Yes, and then yes. we're going to my office and I'm going to beat her with the dumb stick. <laughs> well, it's happened several times. Oh, that, but man. this mom in particular fought us on the whole tour. And then I took her daughter in my office and she sat in the chair right across from my door and I think stared at my door the whole time. And then I brought the mom in and, you know, as we would do, said, tell me about your family history. Do you have any family history, Frank's Hattie? The mom said, well, I had it when I was growing up and my parents never understood me. And hmm. so now that's where she's hitting it out of the park. Uh, yeah. But I sit with parents who will, it feels like they're two different extremes. That's one. The other is the parent. And y'all know when you sit with someone who's highly anxious it feels palpable mm-hmm. i mean i feel oh like i gosh, start to yeah. twitch yeah. a little myself oh, yeah. sure and so i will sit with parents like that and say you know same question tell me about your family history well i don't know we never talked about it i don't know that i have any anxiety and i want to immediately say here's a phone number for someone for you but i think in that case even if you have an anxious child i think to be willing to look at your own stuff and think mm-hmm. is this possibly what's going on with me and could it be spilling over and anxious parents Nobody works harder for their kids. You know, nobody's thinking about their kids, worrying about their kids more Mm -hmm. than anxious parents. And so being willing to do the work to work through it, I think is just such a profound gift. Mm. So here's what happens to me when I'm anxious. Okay. I'm just, I'm thinking about raising my kids. I mean, I think if, if we did anything growing up, at least I did, when my kids were anxious was like, let me give you an example. We used to go to this uh, quarry near our home in Vermont, and there was a 40-foot jump into the water. And I had one kid who just jumped right off, my daughter, Maddie. You know, you would think Maddie would be the most like, Maddie's uh-huh. like, ah, she just ran in. In fact, she did it behind my back even after I told her not to do it, because I looked down and I was like, uh-huh. my kids are not jumping off of that, uh-huh. right? Off she went. And then one of the kids really struggled. And we're kind of like this old Irish Catholic family. It's like, just jump. 
you know, it's like good, you know, anxiety yeah, and stress. Good. Like, stop your whining. You get it. in the water. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And then, of course, this child jumped, and it was a just a huge win. Uh-huh. But I think we were a little bit more like, at times, like, I would get anxious at the stuff Annie would let our kids do. Like, yeah. like she would be out on the playground, and I would go there to pick up the kids or something, and I would look up, and Aiden would be 50 feet up a tree. And I would be like, what are you thinking? She'd wow. be looking up. She goes, he's all right. You know. <laughs> wow. But that's so good for him. That's the opposite of that rescuing yeah. and escape and avoidance. Well, yeah, I think a lot of times that, that happened with our kids, because Annie was much more of a daredevil yeah. than I was uh, with the kids and so that definitely was a feature of our little lives growing up. And so maybe that wasn't a bad strategy in some no. ways. Yeah. You know. the, so research says that in a two-parent household, there's often an anxious parent and a non-anxious parent. And the non-anxious parent is typically dismissed. Wow. Interesting. And both voices are so important. Yeah. Now, I don't think it was dismissed because she just did it behind my back. I just I just didn't know about <laughs> no, it. And that was fine. Sure. No, no, no. That was fine. But I could give you story after story of where stuff could have gone sideways in the worst of ways. Yes. You know, but yeah. whatever. I mean, we were doing stuff when I was a little kid that because we went oh. out at eight in the morning and didn't come oh. until six o'clock at night. My mother knew half Heck the stuff that we were yeah. doing out there, blowing our hands off <laughs> with firecrackers oh, and you know, doing all yeah. kinds yeah. of stuff that, yeah. you know, well, we learned pretty yeah. quick, you know, about about certain things. And I do think it created a, a space for courage and bravery to mm-hmm. emerge, yes. you know. Yes, But absolutely. what happens for me when I'm anxious with my kids is, is it comes out as anger. So That's it doesn't come out as say. fear. That's interesting. Because I would say in 30 years of counseling, I think parents... Number one, feel like failures more than I've ever seen. And number two, I think parents are angrier. But I don't think it's just parents. I think it's all of us. I mean, my code word for myself when I'm in my worst one place is that I get really twitchy and bitchy. (laughs) It's totally me when I'm in my one space. I'm awful. And then, you know, if we were going to look statistically again at anxious kids, there is data that says it's sometimes linked, often linked is what the data says, to a lack of parental warmth. And I don't think Mm. always, but I think when any of us who are anxious, maybe we could talk specifically about ones, but I think when we're anxious, warmth is one of the first things to go and we get angry and tight and rigid. And I can think of so many parents, I think especially that are ones who get to that place with their kids and they're not able to offer either the sense of, you know, you got this, you can do it from a laid back perspective or a nurturing perspective Mm. in that moment. To me, a lot of times... I see that more as impaired fear, right? That need to control. Like I remember this one guy that I was working with one time and um, he's given me permission to tell this story, but he and his son were going kayaking and his son was about to go off to college and they were trying to get the kayaks off of the top of the car and his son was like not able to do it, couldn't figure it out. And he just kept saying, I got an anger problem. I kept saying, tell me about it. So we're, we're working through this story. And he's like, I just lost it on my son. Like when we couldn't get that kayak off, I was like, well, well tell me more about that. And he said, well, I was just, you know, he's about to leave for school and I'm just scared to death. If you can't get this freaking kayak off the top of a car, what in the world's going to happen to him? And like, you know, so Which is it was exactly. more, he was actually more, it was more fear, right? Yeah. He's sort of raging at his son out of fear as opposed to it was less anger, but more fear. Yes. Yeah. Well, and as the kids have gotten old, I have been able to go back to them and when I'm angry. There are times when I need to be more compassionate, but I get hijacked by mm-hmm. anger mm-hmm. and I have to go back to them. And I have on numerous occasions just said, you know, I apologize for getting angry. What I was really feeling was afraid. 
It's good. And, uh, you know. And so good to teach them that's where they can end yeah. up taking their fear, too. Yeah. That we all do. Yeah. That's right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, you're. I'm also at that age now, 62, where you are, you go through this phase, I think, of reflecting, and you have regret. I, I just think there's a season of remorse mm-hmm. and regret in people's mm-hmm. lives where yeah. they sort of replay the tape and they go, oh, I really wish I'd done that, or I wish I'd said that, or I wish, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're like, and I can't do anything about it now mm-hmm. except talk about it mm-hmm. with my kids, you know what I mean, and help them yeah. not have it need to be an issue in for their lives going forward. Yeah. I've actually had to tell my kids, uh, well, one child in particular, we had a just one of the most, maybe the most remarkable parenting conversation I had was we, I was, just came up out of nowhere. It was one of those very tender moments. And I, I just basically had to say to this kid, you know, I don't know what, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow, which seems to be a theme today. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, but, and, but if I did, I just want you to know in advance that I'm sorry for so many things. And I was able to enumerate some of those Mm. things. And so I just want you to Mm. know that because so oftentimes parents leave this planet without ever having said they were sorry for some things. And if they had, it would have just solved a lot of problems for their adult children. You know what I mean? Just solved a lot of problems for them. That's beautiful. uh, Yeah. No, it was a powerful moment. One that I won't forget. It was like pretty powerful one of the things that strikes me about that is i think about my dad he came to me when i was i don't know 28 29 he was in sales and he was gone monday through friday and he came to me and apologized for being gone for half my life Mm. and i didn't know it until he apologized for it because it was my normal yeah and i was like wow okay you know it's all i knew and i think it opens more doors when you're able to do something like what you did ian to them even recognizing, okay, dad missed it there. Mm. And it was okay and we're okay now, but just an opportunity for healing. So yeah. I love yeah, that. It's the, it's the power of the amends process. Yes. Yeah. Making amends and not making an excuse, just actually not coming up with an explanation Yeah, per se. You can say, I think, I got angry because I was scared. That doesn't Some make context. my response. Yeah. The explanation doesn't make it right. It's just, I want you to understand where I think that emerged from. Yeah. Anyhow, this has been a great conversation. Mm, yeah. It's so fun to talk with y'all. Yeah. Wow. Enneagram One, Sissy Gop, author of the new book, Raising Worry-Free Girls, and I should say books, Braver, Stronger, Smarter, A Girl's Guide to Overcoming Worry and Anxiety. Thanks so much for being Thank on Titanology. Thank you for having me, y'all. Daystar is such a, an amazing place. Right here so in Nashville. any of you who are here in this area, I mean, if you have a child that needs some help, I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to run to Daystar right away. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Folks, you can go to www.raisingboysandgirls.com to learn a lot more about what Sissy and Dave, too, are are doing at Daystar. Go back and listen to my episode with Dave, uh, which on um, which we spoke about uh, his book, "Raising Emotionally Strong Boys," yes. right? And uh, which was a that was awesome a great interview, convers- yeah. as it was this one. Mm-hmm. And I also want to say that based on our conversation, I think this actually would probably be good a, a good book for adults to read, even for themselves. And I have one coming out in August for adults for themselves. Okay, everybody, so. wait. Wait on the book. <laughs> You're so sweet. They can pre-order it now. Pre-order that book Ooh, now. That. Worry-free parents. Head for it now, people, because apparently you're just kick- kicking out. You make me anxious about the amount of stuff, your kick- content you're kicking Once. out. Once. Get it done, We man. get it done. And fours, you know, when I go to the high side of one and 
security. It is a good oh, place for yes. me. To, a good place for me to be. Anthony. Yeah. You know what I'm going to say now, right? Sign us off, friends. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time. 